This is Fundraising Radio, and today as a guest speaker, we have Alex Nascimento, Managing Director of 7CC Blockchain Investments. And in this episode, we're really going to focus on fundraising through blockchain. So Alex, let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on 7CC Blockchain Investments. Sure. So um, my name is Alex Nascimento. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure being here with you guys. Uh, mainly, I've been doing two things for the past uh, 10 plus years. One is teaching at UCLA, and I used to teach strategy courses. And the other is investing and working with startups. Uh, mid 2017, we did a shift. Uh, I started teaching the blockchain course at UCLA, which is a business course, uh, not for, for non technical people to understand the use of the technology as well as the possibilities for fundraising. Um, and then we shifted our focus on startups to focus exclusively on blockchain startups. And, uh, and that's what 7CC Invest is. Uh, so we are an advisory and investment firm. So some projects we invest, some projects we just advise, uh, helping companies integrate their blockchain technology and raise money for blockchain related projects. Got it. That's, that's really interesting. Uh, so on your LinkedIn profile, it says that you're an official sponsor of Tech Coast Angels. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, so Tech Coast Angels is the largest angel network in the United States uh, with a few chapters here in Southern California. Last time I looked, there was north of like 400, 500 angel investors. Uh, we've been with Tech Coast Angels for a while. We've been uh, their corporate sponsors. So Tech Coast Angels invites entrepreneurs from all walks of life. It's not only tech. Uh, you know, I've seen things like nutritional bubblegum uh, being funded at TCA. And I invite everyone who's listening to, if you're looking for funding and you have a good project, uh, to go to the TCA website and apply so that your project or startup can be reviewed by the investment committee, which upon approval, you will go through a pre-screening application and then hopefully you will be able to uh, pitch your idea to our group of investors who meet uh, twice a month usually once at ucla on campus uh, and that's why we're so close to tca mm -hmm. and the other it's a it's an investor's dinner and in, uh, the west side of la so uh, there, there are other chapters in Southern California. I'm particularly involved with the LA. Got it, got it. Yeah, I think all our listeners on the call are from LA, so yeah, we're all from on the same page. But uh, just a side note, because of the whole coronavirus thing, uh, how 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 do pitches work now? So you said that you meet usually twice a month, and it used to be in person. How does it work now? Uh, so now it's happening through like Zooms and other forms of, uh, of remote conferencing, uh, but it's still going on. So nothing has stopped. Uh, meetings are still going. We're still reviewing companies. Uh, just a matter of the, them not being in person. Got it. Perfect. So it's not the end of the world yet. Tech Coast Angels are still operating. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah, we're still strong. 
let's move on to the major topic of our discussion today, blockchain fundraising. Um, I'm not even quite sure where to kick it off from here because I'm really not proficient in blockchain and haven't had much experience with it whatsoever. So maybe you will kick off by uh, telling us a little bit about who might try to fundraise through blockchain and who shouldn't even think of it. Mm -hmm. So basically it falls into kind of like the same category as, uh, uh, as startups, but even wider, right? The, the ability here is for any company, startup, mid-size or large corporations to do a swap. And what do I mean by a swap? A swap is any financial instrument where I'll give you a contract in return for funds, right? That could be a bond, that could be a company share, that could be seed money with an opportunity for a follow-up upon a liquidity event, that could be a debenture, that could be a REIT. So, so technically, uh, the sky is the limit of what you could do on a blockchain environment for fundraising. Our research at UCLA and my focus, it was always on how did we move from ICOs, which were very popular in 2017 uh, and late 2016, to regulated fundraising mechanisms that utilize blockchain technology to connect investor and company. All right, does that so far make sense? Uh, not really. <laughs> I'm really not sorry right. to say okay. that, but so, can you so elaborate let's go a back bit to, more? Let's go back two steps behind, right? Sure. So majority of blockchain fundraising mechanisms were ICOs, uh, which were initial coin offering. Uh, You would send funds to a startup, and then that startup will send you a coin or an investment contract that was coded on a blockchain, Mm -hmm. right? Um, For those of you who want to take a deeper look into how that works, we wrote a book that's being used as the textbook for UCLA and for other universities. It's called dstofinancialrevolution.com. You can also find it on Amazon. And I'm happy to share a code with you so that you can uh, give it to your listeners and your listeners can download it for free. Uh, So just back to history, you know, that was the fad of, of ICOs. Uh, you would send funds and a startup will send you a coin, which essentially was a share of that company, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that was deemed by the Securities Exchange Commission as an unregulated securities offering, or like I like to tell my students, securities fraud. Mm-hmm. And that's where we started as an, an institution like UCLA looking into how could you do this from a regulated point of view and that's the difference between icos and stos icos are traditionally uh, unregulated fundraising mechanisms and stos stand for security token offerings 
which are just like anything you buy on NASDAQ, right? Is a digitized form of a share or a digitized form of a bond or a digitized form of a debenture, mm-hmm. right? It's a digitized form of an investment contract. So basically any sort of company can raise through an STO. Is that in my understanding? That right? is correct. That is correct. And, uh, and for many, for many, <laughs> the uh, time in blockchain is, is really uh, speedy and uh, at the speed of light. But since 2017, when we started proposing this uh, approach, that there was a viable way to do these fundraisings from a regulated perspective or something that would potentially not put you in jail or would not uh, give you any troubles with the SEC. That's the work we've been doing with companies around the world uh, for 7CC. So we've been helping companies structure these fundraising mechanisms from a regulated point of view on the blockchain. Um, So to answer your question, you're completely right. Any company, real estate development companies, chains of restaurants, uh, you know, Bob and Mary who own like five restaurants or five pizzerias in Southern California, they can all utilize security tokens to fundraise via blockchain technology. That's really interesting. I've never heard of it. I am like feel so uneducated here. So it's, it's great to learn new stuff. So let's talk about the particular steps that one should take if he or she decides to apply for an STO. Like what are the first three things that you should look at or that you should do? Yeah, I, you know, in essence, not to be too biased, I would look for professional help because uh, that's definitely, you're going to waste a lot of your time as an entrepreneur trying to figure this out rather than just going through like, you know, a trail that has already been proven to work. Um, aside from that, there, if you're, if you're doing it in the United States or getting money from any U.S. investors, there are three options for you to hang your hat on or to file for with the SEC to get properly registered and to be compliant. One is Regulation CF or Regulation Crowdfunding, which was recently updated for entrepreneurs to raise up to $5 million. So you could raise up to $5 million on the blockchain with very, very minimal uh, paperwork and bureaucracy, right? If you're looking to raise uh, larger amounts, you could raise up to north of a, now it's gonna be updated to somewhere in between 70, $75 million um, for, for a public offering. So you would register for a public offering and you could sell your security tokens to basically anyone um, that would come through your website, right? Like someone you don't know who works for Walmart, uh, who's not a qualified investor, mm-hmm. could buy your Reggae Plus uh, token offering. Um, and that's the second one, right? And then the third one, which is what most people do, uh, is that they go after 
with their token offerings after qualified investors, people right. that are part of like angel groups or that essentially have more than a million dollars in liquid assets. There's also two other qualifications on how much money you make a year, about 250,000 single or 300 household, you're classified as a qualified investor. Uh, so that's regulation D506. And there's two variations. There is 506C and 506B. Uh, those allow you to raise unlimited funds on the blockchain from qualified investors only. So you can't raise money from, you know, Jane, who's 25 years old and works uh, at Starbucks. Right. I think uh, I might be wrong a little bit here, but I remember uh, reading something about one of those regulations and it said that you can offer your uh, tokens or shares to up to 10 uh, uncertified investors. Is that right or is that did that number change? Yeah, no, no, that that it's right. Uh, it's been those regulations have been updated recently to on to be more flexible and more encompassing. Uh, there, depending on which regulation you apply to on on regulation D, uh, there is a threshold of of uh, shareholders that you could have that are not necessarily qualified. And, and those could be like, you know, your co-founder or your uncle who gave you $10,000 because he believes in you. Uh, so not necessarily those shareholders of your token or token holders would need to be qualified investors. So you are correct. There is a small carve out for for investors that are not qualified so that it kind of like allows you to to get that initial seed capital not only from from uh qualified investors and also make distributions to the founders and the original founding team got it so now actually i have a question what's the major difference between an sto and a regular uh, uh regulation d offering 506 let's say so uh, in one case i understand that you just give out a, a non-physical uh so like in one case, you actually sign a contract and, and everything like that. And in another case, you're just sending a tokenized share of the company. Is that right? Or is there some that other? That is very close difference? to right. Yeah, that, that is, I would say, 80% there, right? Mm -hmm. So one is, uh, think about NASDAQ, right? One, you're buying a digitized share. And that's the blockchain way of doing it and the security token. Uh, the other one is that you're literally going person to person, face to face, and trying to get that person to sign your safe, uh, to sign your convertible note, to, sh to sign your shareholders agreement, whatever it is, the investment contract that you are promoting. Uh, there's, there, there are benefits more than differences. So that's an important point to make is that the differences between an STO and a traditional uh, paper contract are very, very small. Basically, one is digitized and stored on a blockchain, which brings all the benefits of immutability and automated contracts and all that. Right. Um, 
but the differences from a legal point of view are very, very minimal. Another question. Does anyone from the audience have any questions? So uh, I think uh, uh, just to conclude, sorry to interrupt, but I think that it's important just for the audience to understand that what, you know, you might think about yourself. Well, if it, there is no difference between a security token, it's just a digitized contract stored in a blockchain. Uh, why don't I just go the traditional way? Right? right. And that's a lot of the questions that our clients, when they're getting their early onboarding ask. So this might be useful for your audience. The main difference and why people are choosing to go through the STO route and the blockchain route is your ability to reach investors that you would traditionally not be able to reach given that you live in Los Angeles, there's only 24 hours in the day, you, you know, for you to go and visit a, uh, an investor in Tokyo, you need to get on a plane, book a hotel, go to Tokyo, spend a week, go for dinner and do all that, right? Um, yeah. So the, your ability to touch a larger audience through the web is a key benefit. The other key benefit is that the payments and back office of making sure that you have all your documentations and you're making payments to your shareholders in a compliant way are all automated in a blockchain as opposed to being hand paper pushed in a more traditional uh, model. Now I understand this. Because before I actually had a question like, what's the, why should I choose an STO if it sounds a little bit more difficult, in fact. So uh, I th thanks for clarifying that. Uh, I think we had a question from the audience. Sure. Uh, yes. So I had a question. Um, it's along the lines of why of the question that you just answered. Um, but the question that I have is, okay, so to me, it seems that two of the primary advantages of the blockchain are one, it reduces transaction costs, meaning maybe instead of paying like anywhere between two to 6% for financial transaction costs, you pay a smaller percentage fee. Um, and then the second one is if you're dealing with very small amounts, it's easier to manage through um, the blockchain because when you're dealing with a very small amount of money, it's hard to like kind of use the traditional routes to kind of pull those smaller amounts into a bigger sum. Um, now for startups though, it seems that like you're not dealing with an investment where two to 6% is what's gonna like make or break the startup because the returns on startups is much higher, but then it also means that you can kind of potentially go to zero as well. Um, with that said, I guess you said one thing, which is you can reach a lot more people. So what you're essentially saying is that through the blockchain, that network of people is larger. So the question that I have is why exactly is that network of people larger as opposed to reaching them by traditional means? Um, yeah. and the second okay. one is what exactly is it for startups that I guess blockchain as a technology provides when it's really the reduction in transaction cost is not what's going to like make it or break it for the startup. Yeah. So, so there are a couple of things and I think they kind of revolved around those two points that you are already identified. Right. So one is your ability to reach investors that traditionally you wouldn't be able to mostly from a physical uh, barrier. Right. I, I, you know, if uh, I, I'll give you guys an example. So, 
if you go through TCA, you're gonna put a pitch deck together. You're gonna submit that pitch deck through TCA as website. You're gonna, upon being pre-selected, you're gonna go in front of a committee. You're gonna try to convince that committee that you have all your ducks in a row. If you convince the committee, then you're gonna present to a room here in LA of about like 50 investors who are gonna grill you. And then upon showing some interest, some of those investors are gonna go through due diligence, which is a on average three to six month process. And that's if you are in LA, which has you know, a, a group of uh, a community of investors that is vibrant and you find places like TCA to go to, right? Uh, if you're in the middle of nowhere, then that opportunity might not be there for you because there is no angel community in your in your uh, in your neighborhood or you have to apply to TCA and then come to LA. Uh, so those physical barriers of trying to fundraise and actually going investor by investor are exponentially um, multiplied if you can do that through uh, blast emails, uh, social media content, uh, YouTube videos, uh, and you name it, right? We're, we're all here in tech. So the ability of the web to get you connected to other potential investors that on a face-to-face -face effort would take much longer and a lot more money is definitely one of the key drivers. Uh, you mentioned so, the two to six percent. Yeah, go ahead. Um, one of the questions I had about the social network aspect of this is, even if one doesn't use blockchain, you can still do email blasts, YouTube videos, and other types of social network outreach. Why is it that adding the blockchain is kind of what? So I mean, people have tried that traditionally, which is like sending the emails out and cold calling, et cetera, and it. I guess a lot of people haven't succeeded with that. Why is it that when one adds the blockchain and blockchain-related technologies and its corresponding financial instruments, that those methods suddenly become successful when they didn't become successful without the blockchain and those financial instruments? That's a very good question. So, um, so we go back to one of the key basic concepts of a blockchain, right? So I'll, I'll just go through this rapidly. If I take a picture, of us in a, in, a, in a dining environment and we're 10 people there sitting in the, in the dinner table and then I throw it on our group chat, whatever it is, WhatsApp, Telegram, you name it, uh, the picture. Now the 10 people in our room, in our dinner table are gonna have a copy of that file, right? On the blockchain, that does not happen. It's called a double spending issue. So if i take a blockchain picture per se and then i send it to you i no longer have that file that file is an immutable file that can't be double spent or copied so if you take that concept and then bring that concept to a investment contract then now what you're allowing that in the past was kind of challenging is liquidity right 
So in the past, people tried to do this, and there are, there are examples out there of crowdfunding platforms. You would use the social media to uh, you know, bring awareness to your startup and, and get people to buy into your startup via crowdfunding model. Uh, crowdfunding until very recently, like two months ago, if not less, was capped at a million. You couldn't do more than a million in fundraising for a crowdfunding effort. So as you know, a million is not that much in, uh, in startup terms, especially if you're in the US. So for the blockchain, you could either do unlimited raises or you could do up to 70, if I'm not mistaken, it's $75 million now uh, a year through uh, Reg A+. Uh, don't, don't quote me on that number. I just have to double check. Uh, until two months ago, it was like 50 million, and and then they're they're raising raising the bar. Uh, so that, those are two things, right? And that now, if I purchase one of those shares, I have that immutable contract where I'm holding it. So if I want to sell it to my neighbor, I can do so. As opposed to in the past, I would have to have my neighbor uh, meet you and then do an exchange of contracts and then do signatures and all the paperwork to onboard my neighbor uh, as a new shareholder of your company. You still need to do that, but the, the fluidity of documentations and who gets the payout at the end of the day when the startup is, um, is successful is much easier. So it's not only the two to 6%, it goes into I'll give you I'll give you a number that might shock people. Uh, you large size banks um, spend about ten billion dollars on back office transactions and costs, right? If you tokenize those transactions and costs and automate them in the blockchain, that can be a massive reduction of costs up to 85, 90 percent. So if I understood um some of the things that you said, one of the primary reasons that you're saying that it's better to raise on blockchain using like social media is basically the people that you sell to can then resell the shares of your company and that gives them more security. And as a result of that, the community as a whole is willing to invest more in this way because they can easily resell the shares that they buy of whatever startup that they buy the shares of. I wouldn't say easily, I would say easier. Yeah. Easier, okay. And it's harder to do in traditional. Yeah, because I think that you pointed out really well, right? A lot of the challenges, those are physical challenges, right? So now you hold a safe note or a convertible note to a XYZ uh, dog food algorithm uh, startup. How do you find someone else to purchase that contract from you? So are there significant numbers of secondary marketplaces that are now in existence for sales of shares and other types of things that one purchases via the blockchain? Uh, so there are a good number of companies that are exploring that. The industry is still in its nascent stage, but I'll give you kind of some of like the latest players that we've been having conversations with that are entering that space to build that ecosystem. So NASDAQ is one, they have a full solution 
of tokenization and secondary markets for these uh, blockchain security tokens. Um, and it's public. You guys can go and look for it. The New York Stock Exchange is building a custody solution for these security tokens and other digital assets. Uh, Fidelity, uh, Franklin Templeton, Saturn there, HSBC, uh, JP Morgan, they're all developing tools and solutions for people to have a more robust ecosystem and greater access to liquidity. Um, but if you, it, one, one of the companies that I like a lot here in this, the US in that space is T0. T is time and then zero is Z-E-R-O. Cool, so thanks for answering that question. Um, I really like the answer that you gave about secondary marketplaces and the liquidity that's created and how that ecosystem is evolving. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. The questions were just great. I'm just sitting here not even saying anything because there is no need for me to say anything. Sunil so has been listening for this podcast for so long that I think he became a better interviewer than me. <laughs> so uh -huh. uh, I think at this point, we're going to wrap it up. <laughs> at this point, I think we're going to wrap it up. Uh, thanks again, Alex, for sharing uh, your experience. Thanks to Neil, by the way, for asking those great questions. I absolutely love them. I learned a lot today. I have to be quite honest, I haven't even heard about STOs before I met Alex. So it's a great, great experience, you guys. So thanks. Thanks. And have a great week. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, if you're looking to find more information, I think the easiest thing you can do is go on LinkedIn. But Alex Blockchain UCLA, uh, my picture will pop up. Just send me a, a, a note. I'm happy happy to discuss. Um, you know, there's. I think that the lowest hanging fruit on these days are uh, tokenization of real estate. Um, large developers and so forth are using this this Sounds feature. Good. So, so happy happy to discuss it with anyone in your audience. Sounds great. Thanks a lot for that. And I'll definitely publish the uh, link to your book in the description of this episode. All right. Okay, fantastic. And we'll give you guys a quote. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Appreciate You really thought it's the end of the episode? Nope, not yet. In these uncertain times, when a weird virus is spinning out of control and investors are trying to figure out where to put their money and not to lose it all, I have an answer. Invest in human capital. I will be among the first 10 people to participate in something called human IPO. So shortly about how it works. You can buy futures on my time now when it costs just $100 per hour. And when I become Mark Zuckerberg 2.0 and my time is worth uh, $1,000 per hour, you can sell it or redeem it, either making 10x return or bringing me to your firm as an advisor or speaker for a few hours. My offering is not live yet, so now you can only subscribe to my updates. But please do so and become the first one to buy my time when my offering goes live. To sum it up, in dark days, buy time, not toilet paper, and your money won't be flushed into the toilet. I'll leave a link to my profile on Human IPO in the description of this episode. And thanks again for listening to Fundraising Reading.